Welcome to the Beehive Live. My name is Clint Betts. Meg Walter is here. Hey. Boy, do we have some news for you on this Wednesday. Do we have news, Meg? We sure do. Um, you know, we talked about cases at the end of yesterday's show. Those numbers have not changed except for one. So we're still, and this was, of course, as of yesterday when they released the numbers. So we're at 3,296 confirmed cases. 277 hospitalizations and yesterday when we talked there were 32 deaths one more person has passed away from those deaths now clint of those 33 deaths 17 have been in nursing homes um, and there are people pushing to get nursing homes to release their data so we can identify which nursing homes these um, infections are coming from and do more to stop them so we will keep you posted on that story um, also, there was some data released that identified Utah as being in the top 10 for testing capacity and in the bottom 10 for deaths. So we're in a good place there. Angela Dunn did another press conference yesterday, our state epidemiologist, and she said that our rate of infection has ticked up a little bit. Uh, so we're watching that. Uh, we're staying vigilant. We're social distancing. Now, some other news to break yesterday. The state plans to buy a whole bunch of this COVID-19 medication that we have no idea whether or not works, hydroxychloroquine. Um, and we have with us today Re Representative Suzanne Harrison, who started a tweet thread about this and why she thinks it might not be the best idea. Suzanne, hi. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us what your concerns are about this plan to purchase 200,000 doses of this unproven treatment. So it's actually enough medication to treat 200,000 people with a medication that we don't know whether it works. So I, I serve in the state legislature, but in my day job, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a practicing physician anesthesiologist. And this issue, I think, is, is critical because I care about taxpayer dollars and responsible use of taxpayer dollars. Right now, the jury is out on whether this medication is at all helpful. There are ongoing clinical trials in Utah that I really encourage patients to enroll in because as the FDA recommends and a host of medical societies throughout the world and also in the United States recommend, these drugs really need to be used in the context of a clinical trial where a clinical trial is available so we can find out if they're helpful. Right now there's conflicting evidence on it and there's even some evidence that it's potentially harmful to patients who are suffering with COVID. And first and foremost, as a medical doctor, we need to follow the science and make sure we're not harming people in our efforts to find a cure. We, I wanna find a cure as, as much as anyone and there's a lot of smart people working on this issue, but I think it's an irresponsible use of taxpayer dollars to um, invest in a large purchase of a medication that's fully unproven with, about COVID. And you can already get this medication through normal channels in Utah. There's not a shortage of hydroxychloroquine. There are ongoing clinical trials. There are legitimate uses for this medication. And um, there you, you can already access it in Utah. There's really no need, in my opinion, for the state to step in and use taxpayer dollars to purchase this. So Representative Harrison, my understanding is that the deal is not finalized, right? So what can be done to stop this from going through? Well, and, and I'm not privy to any of these conversations. I don't know. One, one concern also that I have is that 
within the context of this crisis situation, we don't know, there's not a bidding contract or a bidding process. We, the contract terms are not public. We don't know how much the state is spending on this and if it's, you know, market rates. I just really don't see the need for this. Um, if people share those concerns, certainly reach out to the governor's office reach out to your state representative and senators. You can reach out to the Senate president, um, uh, Senate President Adams, and hopefully we can kind of slow things down and, and make sure that we're being good stewards of the taxpayer dollar. Who is privy to these conversations? If not you, who? Uh, great question. I, I'm not, I don't know. Representative Harris, I have a question here around, it's hydrochloroquine? Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. On Silicon Slopes, we had the University of Utah Health uh, folks, the doctors who are running the clinical trials. And as I understand it, there hasn't been a large clinical trial on this medication to determine whether it works or not. So yeah. we don't know if it works, and we also don't know that it doesn't work. Right? You're spot on, Clint. And this is why clinical trials are so critical. We don't know if this helps. And that is why the FDA and, and um, medical societies across the country and a host of infectious disease doctors in this state wrote a letter to the governor asking him not to make this type of purchase because these drugs need to be used in the context of a clinical trial so we find out if they're effective. The jury is out. So and also my understand, Clint, sorry, what, real quick. My understanding no. is that we don't have a shortage of this. Correct. There's avenues for people to get this drug without this major purchase of 200,000 doses. Correct. Clint, go ahead. Yeah, it seems like we might be jumping the gun a little bit on this medication. I do have a question though for you. Say we find out that this drug does not, is actually not useful to combat COVID-19. And now the state has a stockpile of 200,000 doses of this thing. Does that mean like all the money that was spent in there is just wasted or can the state just sell that back? Because this drug is used for other, uh, other things, right? Like malaria and, and stuff like that. So, so is, it, is it a waste of taxpayer dollars or could the state just sell it to pharmacy? I mean, I don't know how any of this works, so maybe, but could they just sell it back to healthcare providers or to other distributors to use it for what it's currently being used on now? Well, the state of Utah will be ready for the possible malaria outbreak if that comes to Utah is really what, what it comes to. And, and you raise great points. I think that this is an irresponsible use of taxpayer dollars. It's not needed. This drug is already available through normal channels. There's not a shortage in Utah. There are legitimate uses for this medication in the context of patients that have such conditions as rheumatoid arthritis and, and autoimmune disorders, but that is a very tiny, you know, proportion of patients. And, uh, you raise great questions. I think the state of Utah will be a proud owner of huge amounts of a, a not needed medication. And, and as, a, as a fiscal conservative and someone that fights to take responsibility for every taxpayer dollar, I have a lot of concerns.
I wonder too, Representative Harrison, maybe you don't know this either. I certainly don't. Whether it's coming out of the $1.2 billion the state of Utah got from the CARES Act, which is federal money, which was, which was passed for the state to combat COVID-19, or if it's coming from the general state fund to buy this. Do we know? Great questions. Again, this is where we, the lack of transparency is, is, is concerning with this. I've heard, but I haven't confirmed that it's going to be part, part state money, part federal money. But we have a lot of needs in Utah, and I would like to see our precious taxpayer dollars go towards something that's really needed. You know, pe people have lost jobs. We have a lot of businesses that are struggling. There are a lot of communities that are really hit hard by this outbreak. And I think there are many, many better uses of precious taxpayer dollars than, you know, investing in a huge amount of uh, an unproven drug with significant risks. And real quick, we just got some information saying that <laughs> from an anonymous source, no, from our friend Skylar, who was on the show yesterday, who was actually participating in this study. And he said there have actually been large studies on the effects of HCQ, as he calls it, and it showed not to be effective in the later stages of the disease. So for many people, it won't help if they've already contracted and are well in to the journey of the virus. Yeah, and I, I, I understand he's involved with one of the clinical trials, and this is my plug. We have high-quality clinical trials going on in the state of Utah. I really encourage people to get involved with those if they have a positive diagnosis of COVID. This is the only way that we're going to know whether these medications work, and I am as, as hopeful as anyone that we can find a cure and an effective treatment. But I, I find it irresponsible to throw taxpayer dollars at something that is largely like the jury's out and it's fully unproven. What would you like to see that money used for? We don't know the sum of money, but what would be your preference for the state spending money on right now? So as a medical doctor, I'm always first and foremost concerned about patients and the safety and health of Utahns. And I think you guys are really involved with helping uh, address testing issues. We have our local hospital systems that are working really hard to have adequate testing. I would like to see more money go towards the, the struggling businesses that are really hurting. Um, many of the federal funds uh, dried up really quickly and, and I'm hoping that our, our federal partners um, will work to in, improve funding for those businesses and employees that have been really hit hard and are really struggling. But there's many, many other ways to spend precious taxpayer dollars than on this type of, of something. And I think we need to make sure that we're not using this crisis as a, as a shield from transparency or as an opportunity for, for certain people to make money off the taxpayer. I just have concerns about it. Uh, Representative Harrison, we understand that you have some questions for us about Test Utah. We'd like to give you the opportunity to ask those now. Oh yeah, I just, in talking to some local public health folks, I just had a question about, is Test Utah using um, uh, billing insurance for folks that have insurance? Because the, as you know, the CARES Act mandated that insurance companies cover testing for COVID, which I think is an important thing. And, and I, I really support that. And I'm just curious, is Test Utah first billing insurance for folks that have 
insurance resources because I feel like that's one way to make sure that we're using precious taxpayer dollars really responsibly too is let's have insurance companies do their job and what they're responsible for and have you know state taxpayer dollars come in to, to fill in the gap where necessary. Yeah, the answer is no. TestUtah.com is not billing any insurance companies. And the reason why is we wanted to make any barriers to the public, insured or uninsured, in taking the assessment or getting tested. We wanted to remove any of those barriers. So think about it like this. I think it's a, I think it's a great question. Uh, I think, I think, you know, if the traditional process using the traditional healthcare providers was working, there wouldn't be a shortage of testing in this country and we wouldn't be in the crisis we're in. And so as you think about, uh, adding that level of complexity and like, what do you do when somebody doesn't have insurance? Can they just not get tested? Which would be, uh, or, or do they have to pay a giant bill afterwards? Like, how do you figure that out? Right. And, and if, and if you're thinking about something like testutra.com, which, you know, is free to the public. No, they, they're not billed anything when, when they pull up to get testing. Their, their insurance isn't billed and they aren't personally billed. It seems like for, for us, our, our goal for testutah.com, speaking on behalf of Silicon Slopes and the partner companies inside of it, was to get widespread testing in Utah. And Utah, you know, now being top three in the country in per capita testing has really done a magnificent job on getting widespread access to testing. And every expert agrees that testing is, you know, one of the most important ways that we're going to get through this. And so, but I think you brought up a good question and particularly around like the cost, cost of testutah.com, how does it work? So the, so the cost to Utah for testutah.com is less than half compared to tests in the state and country and is below the federal reimbursement rate. And our understanding is that the state is using federal money to pay for this test to help all Utahns get tested. So to give you a sense, as I understand it, and you might know these numbers better because you're uh, you know, a member of the House of Representatives, the federal government has given the state of Utah $1.2 billion to combat COVID-19 through the CARES Act. As I understand it, I believe the state has allocated around 200 million of that to go toward public health. And as I understand it, that none of that includes the FEMA reimbursement. We don't know yet, as far as I know, maybe you do, uh, how much of any of these costs that FEMA is going to reimburse. So if you look at the state allocating around $200 million of the funds they've received directly from the federal government to public health and testing, and you look at the amount of that they've put towards the testutah.com initiative, which is around 1% of that 200 million. And testutah.com is doing testing at a cost lower than any provider in the state or anywhere we can find in the country. I think it's prudent for the state and Department of Health to focus on speed and accessibility rather than getting caught up in, again in the complexities of who has insurance, who doesn't, and how to prioritize those who don't have insurance and need to be tested. We believe testing should be accessible to all Utahns, not just the insured, or not just those who can pay the out-of-pocket fees to get tested. And, and as I mentioned, every expert we've talked to agrees widespread testing is critical in getting us through this pandemic. So the fact that Utah is top three in the country in testing per capita, and as of right now, we're doing about, this is, this is actually fascinating, Representative, I think you'll, you'll be happy to hear this. As of today, 
as I understand it, again, I want to be very clear. As of right now, Utah is doing about 2% of the total national test volume every day, which is amazing and a credit to the, you know, the public-private partnership that's been created under the state's leadership and the Utah Department of Health. And the head of the Utah Department of Health was on a Silicon Slopes town hall on Monday and said there's no way we'd be in the top three if not for testutah.com and what's been created. So I think, yes... There is a cost to getting widespread testing in Utah, which is likely why the federal government passed the CARES Act and sent the state $1.2 billion to combat COVID-19. There's labor costs, tech costs, extraction machine costs, PPE costs, biohazard waste removal costs, swab costs, generator costs, tent costs, food costs, and hundreds of other costs that go into making widespread testing in Utah work. I just think it's incredible that Utah, a very conservative state, has one of the most progressive free testing programs in the country. And the model that's been created with testutah.com is already being replicated in other states. You saw Iowa and Nebraska announced yesterday that testiowa.com, testnebraska.com, and the equipment, to give you a sense, representatives, the equipment and tests we're using with testutah.com have been requested by more than 40 states already in the country. I think it's remarkable what's happening here in Utah when it comes to testing. As far as insurance, I'm not sure whether it's a good idea to add that uh, process into testutah.com and add that level of complexity when uh, we all know how critical testing is. And the fact that the state's already paying half what any other testing provider charges for uh, testing in, in the state, and it's below the federal reimbursement rate already. But um, that's as I understand it. Yeah, we didn't. We wanted. We wanted to make sure. And now I'm just speaking for Silicon Slopes and the partner companies, and not the state of Utah. Because well, how could I speak for the state of Utah? I'm wearing a freaking Michael Jordan North Carolina jersey. Just but speaking for uh, us, what you I would say, is, what I would say, Representative, is why would we not want testing to be free and accessible to all Utahns, particularly when the federal government is given the state of Utah, $1.2 billion to combat COVID-19. And every expert agrees that testing is the number one way we're going to get through this pandemic. Well, I, I agree with you that free testing is critical and that's already enacted in the CARES Act that insurance companies have to cover it. And I absolutely agree with you. It shouldn't matter whether you're insured or not insured. If you need a test, you need to have access to a test for free. And we're on the same page about that. I just encourage you to maybe reach out to some of the public health experts in the state and see if, you know, for those folks that do have insurance, tapping into that might free up taxpayer dollars for other needs and, and still get everyone the free testing that they need, regardless of whether they're insured or not. Does that make sense? And I, and I, or Utah's doing a lot right. And I commend you and your team for, for what you're doing. And I, I appreciate, I think this is one of those examples of private public partnerships that we need more of. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, we have uh, this whole program is, uh, I think there has been a bit of a misconception that this is like tech guys going rogue and launching testing sites. And like, it's actually test guys in flat brim hats actually doing, I mean, this, this is in partnership with local hospitals. It's entirely under the direction and partnership of the Utah Department of Health uh, with the coronavirus tax force. Um, the, the people who are doing the testing are all medical professionals, they're doctors, they're nurses, the people in the extraction lab at Timpanogos regional hospital they have all the experience in the world at this type of stuff so we have i think it is a great question like uh what 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 would the level of complexity and how long would it take to spin up uh insurance billing into the test utah.com program as i understand it like even like providers as as recent as like a few weeks ago we're still charging people uh for tests and uh, to come through, you know, as they come through that, both, both their insurance and out of pocket if you don't have insurance, right? Um, and I, I think that has changed in the state of Utah. I'm not sure that that's changed uh, um, everywhere or if everyone's doing that. I don't know. But uh, I think the, the insurance question is a great question. I think saving the taxpayer uh, money makes a lot of sense. But if you look at the total amount that the state has gotten and you look at how critical testing is, to getting through this pandemic. And you look how little the state is paying to spin up testing sites throughout the entire state of Utah. And just how remarkable it is that state leadership has, has realized how critical testing is as, as all their states around the country are scrambling to spin up what, what, what Utah has done. I think that's remarkable. I think the insurance question though is absolutely valid. Whether that should be integrated within uh, testutah.com is a fantastic question. And, uh, you know, everything we do is at the direction of the Department of Health. So if, if they told us to integrate that, I, I'm confident we would. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I encourage you to continue working with those, those local experts to make sure that, you know, test results get back to, to caregivers and, and that, that system is, is of sharing information um, using appropriate HIPAA and privacy uh, data is, is used appropriately. I have had a couple questions from a couple constituents. Do you have a policy of what's going to happen with the data that patients share when applying for testutah.com? What happens to that data, either short-term or long-term, that, you know, medical information and so forth? Yeah, I think that's a great question. All data given through testutah.com is controlled entirely and owned entirely by the state of Utah and is subject to its privacy policy. That assessment that's on testutah.com was written by the Department of Health, approved by the Department of Health. We follow their guidance on the assessment. Uh, so, so all data is, has, you know, doesn't, isn't owned by Silicon Slopes or any of the companies. It's entirely given to the state of Utah like any other testing site would. Okay, so private companies won't be keeping this data long-term? No. Okay, cool. I had one other thought. I've had a couple constituents reach out about transparency. And, and I think that this is one of those things that, you know, whatever we're doing in dealing with this pandemic, I think transparency is always like a good way to, to build trust and to be good, you know, public stewards. Do you, I know there's several subgroups working on various issues, um, subcommittees of the COVID task force that are affiliated with Silicon Slopes. Do you, 
Is there a list of who is on these various subcommittees and when they're meeting? Is it possible for the public to listen in or, or know what's being discussed and who's on these various subcommittees that are discussing potential policy? Tell me what committees you're referring to. I'm not, I'm actually not aware of any state committee that Silicon Slopes is a part of. No, not, not a formal state committee. Like there's some subgroups that have formed over time is my understanding. For example, the part of the hydroxychloroquine conversation was, was uh, developed dirt through a subcommittee that's not a formal committee but um, was responsible for some of the discussions about hydroxychloroquine. Do you know um, the ones that are affiliated with Silicon Slopes is the membership of these kind of informal committees public and is it possible for the public to, to know what's being discussed or developed and, and know what kind of you know, contractual you know, arrangements are being made with the state? Yeah, I think, um... Again, I'm not aware of any Silicon Slopes committee that's tied to the state of Utah at all. Um, I know that Kareen Clark is on the economic committee. She's, she's the chair of Silicon Slopes Commons. Um, that's the only thing I can think of it's, as, as far as like a Silicon Slopes connect. She's not representing Silicon Slopes. She's also the chair of the governor's office of economic development. That's the only person within our community that I know for sure is part of one of these things. I, I can double check for you. Silicon Slopes has spun up two committees within our nonprofit organization. You know, we're not a state entity. Uh, one is the health response committee, which is chaired by Mark Newman, the CEO of Nomi Health. That's the one I was talking about. The, the health response committee was part of the hydrochloroquine discussion? I believe so. And, and is that something that the public can be involved with or is that something that's kind of offline? So we hold town halls uh, publicly and live, similar to what we're doing right here with, with Silicon Slopes. We were doing them every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday where all this stuff would be discussed. I had no idea that the Silicon Slopes Health Response Committee uh, was involved. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's true, that they were involved in the hydrochloroquine decision. Maybe Mark was in his, in his role as Nomi Health. But I, as far as I know, as the you know, CEO of Silicon Slopes, We've taken no stance on hydrochloroquine being a good or bad thing. And the Salt Lake Tribune reported that this was a group, the group that came, made this happen was a group that formed mid-March, I believe. And I think all of this Silicon Slopes committee was formed end of March. Is that right, Clint? Yeah, it's confusing, right? Because, you know, you know, if, if a CEO of a company makes a recommendation and they're also affiliated with Silicon Slopes, um, are they speaking on behalf of Silicon Slopes? Are they speaking on behalf of their company? Are they speaking on themselves as private individuals? I'm not sure. I can tell you for sure Silicon Slopes has made no recommendations to the state of Utah on whether they should buy uh, hydrochloroquine, uh, for sure. But yes, the public can see everything that uh, these two Silicon Slopes committees that we formed in response uh, to COVID-19, they can see everything we do. We stream all of these things live. The other, the other committee is the Economic Impact Committee, which is chaired by Traeger Grill CEO, Jeremy Andrus. And they have a series that they're doing. And I believe the next one is again, streamed live on all of Silicon Slopes' social media channels on Thursday at 5 p.m. Uh -huh. so, so we're doing regular 
constant town halls. I totally agree with you that transparency is critical. In fact, we put out um, a medium post yesterday on, you know, the contracts that these companies have with the state of Utah, how testutah.com, the exact numbers in these contracts, all that type of stuff. Cause I think, you know, when you're talking about taxpayer dollars, when you're talking about the state of Utah getting involved, when you're talking about the Utah department of health, when you're talking about these companies, when you're talking about citizens data, I think that stuff is critical. Yeah. And why would we not be super transparent? So I think that's the answer to your question, but I, I, I don't believe, I just want to be very clear. And, and if I'm wrong, I'll follow up here and we, we'll see, even say it tomorrow. I would be shocked if Silicon Slopes, without me knowing, had any role at all in whether the state should buy this hydrochloroquine. Um, I, I highly doubt that that was a position from the Silicon Slopes Health Response Committee. Well, I really appreciate your commitment to transparency and also all the work of the many private companies and individuals that are working to tackle this crisis. I think this is something that we need, you know, the state can't do it all and clearly the federal government can't do it all. And this is something that working together is, is a great um, way to, to make sure that patients are safe and that we're able to safely and quickly get people and businesses back to work. And I really appreciate your leadership, Clinton. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I think, I think these questions are critical. Again, that, that's why we felt like, you know, we need to have all of these conversations live in these town halls. We need to be taking questions from the community. We need to be having like Dr. Good from the University of Utah Health IHC on here. Angela Dunn has been on these Silicon Slopes lives. The governor, the lieutenant governor, Mitt Rom, all of these folks um, to have these discussions openly in the public because I think it's critical. I don't, um, you know, no one's, you know, got into testutah.com to, um, you do anything, then get as many Utahns possible tested. It just seemed like a critical thing. A quick follow-up. In the Salt Lake Tribune, they have listed all the people involved with this informal group, um, and it does not look like the Silicon Slips. What, pot, what community was it? It does not look like they were involved in this. Um, none of the CEOs are listed in this, so you can find that at Salt Lake Tribune for anyone who's interested. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Representative Harrison. We understand you're headed into another special session at the end of the week, is that correct? Tomorrow, actually. Oh, good luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, let me know how I can be involved with helping get the word out about you know, keeping our communities safe and helping people and businesses get back to work. Well, Representative, I actually think on the insurance question, it would be useful maybe offline if you could send us, you know, um, who we should be connecting with because all of our conversations with the Department of Health and, you know, General Burton, who's running that in the state of Utah, um, th this insurance thing has been like, no, we need to get that would add a level of complexity and really slow things down. And, you know, because the costs are so low right now, it just hasn't made it into that system. But Whoever I should be talking to or wherever these Silicon Slopes uh, groups and companies should be talking to, uh, if that's a better route, please let me know. Awesome. Well, we can connect offline too. And thank you for your willingness to, to listen and, and adapt. I think it's great. And I love your commitment to transparency and helping our state. Thank you. Thank you. Come on again. This is fun. You need to come on one of the Silicon Slopes town halls too. I'd be honored anytime. Thank you so much. You guys keep up the good work. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thank Harrison. you. Uh, Clint, that's it from us today. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. Uh, the 
candidates for governor are releasing their convention speeches today. We're going to read those. We're going to discuss tomorrow, so be prepared for that. Uh, remember to tell us what you're watching to be entered to win a mask, and we will see you tomorrow at noon.